So the market can do really wild and crazy things, but eventually there's an underlying gravitational pull back to reasonableness. And you know, just because somebody bids up the price of whether it's Tesla or Apple for whatever reason, you know, because they like it, uh, because there's a stock split or whatever, you know, kind of nonsensical reason that they can come up with. Over time, this stuff is going to average out and the pendulum is going to swing back the other way. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's another Retire Smarter podcast. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio and Southwest Florida. You can find us online by going to truewealthdesign.com. Listen to past episodes of the podcast, find subscription links, ask Kevin a question. Uh, lots of great information there on the site. Again, it's truewealthdesign.com. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about the Tale of two decades that we have now completed in the 2000s and uh, going to kind of look back at the last two decades and kind of very different decades as we you know look in the rearview mirror a little bit. But before we get to all of that, Kevin, what's going on in your world? Oh, uh, it never seems like a dull day or dull week, Walter. But um, so we have new family members. We have a four-legged variety. Oh, very nice. I, I've mentioned in the past, a lot of our clients know that um, my wife and I, before we had uh, two-legged uh, young family <laughs> members, a children, uh, we had four, and we had uh, two old English sheepdogs uh, that had four legs um, each, uh, not in total. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> just, just wanted to point that out. And um, unfortunately, in the last year, we lost both of them. They were 12 and 14. And, mm-hmm. and uh, so my wife is on Facebook and on a, on a rescue site and sees this dog. And it looks exactly like our, our most beloved uh, dog that we lost. And it, it just uncanny uh, how much this dog looked like our Boogie was his his nickname that he grew into. Bear was his Sir Pickwick Bear of Royalton was his uh, his his given dog name. Wow. Um, yes, yes. Well, you know how it is. You know, you got to be a little pretentious when you're into to dogs. <laughs> I think so. Um, but Boogie uh, depends on just, the depends on the kind of dog. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the people. Right? <laughs> um, so we uh, so she sees this dog looks like our boogie, and she thought it was our boogie. She thought Facebook was showing her like an old picture of our of our boogie, and and here it's not. And then it's a rescue. Oh my gosh, this dog looks just like our boogie, and um, so kind of got the wheels in motion. But um, here the dog was actually uh, a rescue in South Korea. Um, so we had an old English sheepdog that is in South Korea, and I don't know if you know this, Walter. But um, when you go into China and some of these Asian cultures, uh, it's, you know, men will eat dogs to supposedly enhance their virility. And um, so they have this dog meat trade. Uh, And I think China is maybe the worst, but South Korea, it's prevalent as well. And so... That was in the news a lot at the beginning of the COVID crisis. I remember seeing a lot of those articles. Okay. Um, Yeah. So my wife kind of informs me on on some of this, but basically once... She saw the connection with our boogie. I mean, just the wheels started in motion. And then, all of, oh, oh, by the way, there's another purebred old English sheepdog, and his name is Moby. And so, um, so <laughs> basically, last week, I picked up these two sheepdogs that were shipped here uh, from South Korea. And 
what's interesting is we're watching these videos and they're responding to South Korean commands. One is one year old and the other one is two. And I'm like, great. We have old English sheepdogs that aren't English <laughs> that are from South Korea that respond to Korean commands. And now they're coming back, you know, to the States to speak and learn a different form of English. And Walter, all I can say is And they that eat is, kimchi instead of dog food. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the guy at the airport, after when I was picking him up from cargo, he's like, oh, he saved him from becoming chop suey, huh? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. Um, but yeah, so our life is uh, busy. Um, they are great dogs. I mean, I thought we thought we were going to have some, you know, our work cut out for us just being that they were rescues and their temperaments are fantastic, which is really great for us being that we have two young girls. Um, certainly have to learn uh, and, and go through training, but um, life got busy, but it's uh, definitely seems like it's, it just feels more fulfilling again. It feels more natural for us. So that's what's going on in the Krosky household. Something about having a dog in the house that just makes, makes the world better. I think that's definitely true. A lot of, a lot of people can identify with that for sure. I'm curious, um, have the dogs found it difficult, the culture change from South Korea to South Florida? <laughs> They're so sophisticated, I thought they might have an opinion. <laughs> not, that, not that I can tell. <laughs> I, yeah, moving right along. Th- I, like, thanks, thanks for letting me pick on you a little bit. <laughs> it's, it's all good. It's uh, all good. Do, do, we have, do we have names yet? I realize we're within the week, so, so you may still be formulating that you know, eight-word eight name. Yeah, we're um, so we're keeping Moby on the one, and uh, we're okay. for the one that looks like Boogie. Um, we were thinking maybe BJ Boogie Junior. Um, we were thinking I, I don't know. There's a few in contention, but right now we're just like, hey you, <laughs> <laughs> which is really effective for training. Dog one and dog two. Yeah, so we're we're it's uh, I think we I think we're kind of narrowing in on it, but um, but we have not firmly decided so trainer is coming over this week and we have to have a name picked by the time the trainer's here all right well we'll uh, we'll get a report from you next episode on uh, what names we ended up with but good for you glad that dogs are back in the house they they are amazing so i'm, I'm glad that that brought some light into the krosky household this week and will for many years to come it sounds like well speaking of bringing light into the household this is a very poor segue, but uh, we'll try to bring some light to the financial conversation on today's show. We're going to talk about the tale of two decades. We're a little over 20 years now into this new decade, or or just below the 20 years, depending on where you mark the uh, the millennium, I suppose. But in any event, uh, about 20 years of data to gather and talk about these last two decades, Kevin, and a little bit different course of action between the two decades, different uh, way of kind of um, you know putting them into uh, context. Yeah. And the purpose of this, I think it's going to be instructive um, prospectively. It's not just kind of a historical redux on what happened over the last two decades. You know, I've had several conversations over the last couple of weeks with some friends, some neighbors, uh, some new clients uh, that are coming aboard and just kind of it just feels, it feels different. I, you know, I wasn't in, uh, I was still in college in the late 1990s when the tech bubble was, was kind of going. And I was not a participant from the professional side, but more so from the observer and investing a little, I would say investing, losing the little bit of money that I had as I thought you could not lose in tech stocks and, uh, and swiftly learning that, yes, you can, you can certainly lose and, and, and things do swing the other, other way. But it feels like that, um, you know, I, I had a neighbor 
you know, ask that has a Tesla asking me, Hey, I, <laughs> I was on this, you know, uh, Schwab website and I got this, you know, account. I can't figure out how to go ahead and buy $50,000 of Tesla. I'm like, Whoa, like if you can't figure that out, should you really be putting 50 grand into it? <laughs> For, that was my, I didn't say that, but that, you probably saw it on my face. And, um, so I had that, I mean, I've had a few people recently where, you know, they're just, Hey, they've done really well in their portfolios. And candidly, I mean, after kind of talking with them, I'm like, well, how did you pick this? He's like, well, you know, it's been going up a lot. <laughs> and usually, I mean, you know, the investing process of it's been going up a lot. So I'm going to buy it and hope that it's going to keep going up tends not to work out that well. Uh, but it has been working recently and it's been working quite well for a lot of people that are, you know, chasing shares of whether it's Tesla you know, Netflix, you know, any of the tech stocks we've talked, you know, a fair amount about it in different ways um, over the last, you know, probably year or so, but particularly through COVID because, you know, it obviously had a big difference of impact, whether it was more technology enabled or not. Um, and even today, today's the day that um, Tesla and Apple shares are, are doing a stock split. And so um, for anybody that's not sure what that means, just say that, hey, it's a thousand dollars a share. And they'll do a two for one split. So they're just going to say, well, we're going to make our shares worth 500 rather than a thousand, but we're going to give you two of them. And so Walter, what would you rather have a thousand dollars or two $500 bills? I will take whatever you want to give me. <laughs> Mathematically, it's equivalent, right? <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, whatever's you know, easier it, for you would be my response to that. <laughs> the mathematical equivalency is very rational, and it's, <laughs> and that's not what's happening in the market. So apparently, the stock split is um, saying, "Woohoo, we're getting more shares, so that must be good. So let's buy more of it." And it, the stock price is going up even higher when there's no really uh, foundational um, reason for that to happen. In fact, I'd argue probably the opposite that when you look at the Dow, you know, the Dow has thirty companies in it. And Apple is one of those 30 companies. And not a lot of people know this, but they should, uh, particularly if they're quoting the Dow or maybe buying a, an ETF that's based on the Dow. But the Dow was one of the first um, indices that were created. I think it was like in the late 1800s, very late 1800s or very early 1900s. And it's a, it's a price-weighted index. And what that means is um, whatever the share price of the stock is, uh, in part, just basically determines how much of it uh, will be in the index. So when Apple is doing uh, a stock split, it is now going to be less in terms of the composition of the Dow. So any investments, uh, index-based investments that follow the Dow, which there are many, I don't know what the dollars are, but it's probably it's quite substantial. It's a very common uh, index that's out there. Those index providers are, have to sell Apple today because uh, the, the stock split uh, has lowered its stock price and thus lowered its composition in the Dow makes no rational sense, but it was kind of the first uh, index that was created and it basically has never been fixed. It's just kind of the way that it is and the way that it works. And, and so because those index providers have to sell it, I would say that, well, hey, if anything, there's more of a technical reason why Apple should not be going up, but yet it seems to be. So um, again, two $500 bills, or I don't even know if there's $500 bills, but you know, let's pretend that there are, is the same as a $1,000 bill, which I know there was, I don't know if they still exist or not, but you get the gist. Whether it's five or 10 or 500 or a thousand, two of the fives <laughs> equal one of the 10, let's put it that way. So- no, no longer in circulation, the $500 bill. Okay, thank you, thank you. Um, so you have a lot of this frothiness going on. McKinley, by the way, was on the $500 bill. 
Okay. Thank you. And what years was he in office, Walter? That would have been uh, 19... Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, hold on. You're trying to recall it from what part of your brain? <laughs> oh, the from Google the, part of your from, brain. From the Got Wikipedia it. part of my brain. Thanks for catching me on that one. Um, so you have you know, my neighbor that's trying to figure out how to buy $50,000 worth of Tesla and can't figure it out. But you know, if you can't figure that out, you know, certainly Tesla's got to be a good buy. So <laughs> the buy makes sense. Um, you have people that are just kind of chasing uh, returns here and, and things are just going up. It seems like just because. Um, we talked about Hertz and like Hertz had uh, this, they're in bankruptcy and their debt is trading for pennies on the dollar, but yet um, their stock price is substantially higher. In fact, they were trying to issue new shares of stock because there was a market for their stock. They're like, this makes no sense, but hey, let's capitalize on this idiocy and let's issue new shares. And then the SEC came in and said, no, <laughs> you can't do that. Yes, people are dumb. They didn't say that, but basically that's what they were saying. And we are going to protect the dumb people from being even more dumb uh, or dumber, I guess I should say. So you see a lot of, it's not like the market is completely irrational right now. I would say certain parts of the market certainly are, certain stocks certainly are. We talked about this with like, you know, Zoom and um, there's a different company that has the Zoom ticker versus, you know, the Zoom that people are doing the web meetings on and people didn't even know what they were buying. So they're just buying the ticker Zoom and sent, sent it up like 140%. And oh then my like, gosh. Oh no, it's the wrong company. Oops. Um, <laughs> you just have a lot of like, craziness going on. So it feels like, again, I wasn't in the business in the late 1990s, but that tech bubble is kind of what drew, drew me into it because I, I just had an interest for it, that. And I really wasn't all that happy being a, a high school physics teacher, um, but I digress. And it feels like that right now. It feels like, you know, hey, you know, I, I own a Tesla, so I like it. And so the stock has to be a good buy. And hey, I'm on this computer and it has Microsoft on it. And Microsoft has been going up. So that's got to be a good buy. And there's, you know, price or value net really never come into play. It's just like it's going up. Let's buy it. And it's going to keep going up. That, that was and, the mentality I grew up with. With, uh, you know, my grandmother was getting me into finances at a young age. Um, my cousins and I were very fortunate to have her influence over the years. I've told her story before on on the podcast, but that was part of her reasoning for buying the stocks she did was, one, she was looking for uh, dividend-paying stocks was one thing she always prioritized, and just strong companies that had been around for a long time. But then the third one was something that we'd be interested in as kids. Um, and honestly, that was one of the big driving forces, which is why we had some Disney and Hershey and Harley Davidson and, you know, cool, fun stuff for kids. And then one year we got like uh, energy. We were all like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> what, what is this, you know, Royal Energy Group of Scotland, you know, or whatever, whatever <laughs> right. it was. <laughs> Where was that show? <laughs> That's right. But it's interesting because that's it's. But I mean, it's funny because then it's hard to shake that when you grow up learning something a certain way. It's hard to get more sophisticated on the topic once it becomes part of your mindset. I think that's true, but also the way that our brains work. I mean, one, you you should know what you're investing in for sure. Um, you should understand it, and but you shouldn't just buy something because you know it. <laughs> that should be the other very important part of that of that sentence. Make make that point about a compound sentence. Yeah, know what you invest in, but make sure you buy it at a decent price. You know, something to that effect. And, you know, all these companies people certainly are hearing about and know, and, you know, I have an Apple device and, you know, certainly uh, enjoy, you know, utilizing it. But, you know, just because it's a good company doesn't mean that you're actually getting a good price or going to get a good return, you know, from owning the stock. Um, you can't pay too much. I always use the analogy of a house. You and your neighbor have very similar houses. 
say you bought yours for 400,000 earlier this year, and then the neighbor sells uh, theirs for 500,000, you know, six months later. They got a great house, great neighborhood, but they way overpaid for the house. Um, same thing can go for a stock. So, you know, you, you just kind of have to look through this, but um, I think looking back over this tale of two decades is instructive because again, it feels like, feels like right now what the 1990s, the late 1990s felt like. And certainly the 1990s with the tech bubble was just, was just booming and U.S. stocks, particularly technology stocks, were just kind of shooting the moon. And then, you know, when 2000 came around, you know, things just kind of flipped and went the other way. And it was really March of 2000 when it, it started going the other direction. But really through all the 90s, I mean, it just it was just going and keep going. And it was irrational exuberance was kind of the term that you heard. Um, and but it even kept going after it kind of got into nosebleed prices. But when the music ran out um, and people were looking for chairs to sit down, they realized, oh man, price does matter and there's no chairs for me to sit in. And if you held on to, say, the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ, as most people know, is is generally tech technology focused stocks um you know the vast majority of it is is really comprised of a lot of these large tech companies you know the amazons apples uh, microsoft google aka alphabet and, and facebook as well um but when you looked at what the nasdaq did oh, from 2000 from january 2000 through december of 2009 it lost an annualized average of 5.2 percent per year Cumulatively, over that entire 10 years, what that means is if you had a million dollars in the NASDAQ in January 1, 2020, by December 31st, 2009, you had about $590,000. Million bucks down to 590. Entire 10 year period. So, you know, those were still some great companies. Microsoft was in there. Microsoft was a great company. Um, Cisco was in there. Cisco is still a great company. Intel, you know, the, all these companies were still in there and uh, they were in the NASDAQ. They still are there today and they're still great companies today. It's just that you paid way too much for them, you know, in the late 1990s and you paid for that over the next decade. Even if you looked a little bit more broadly and went outside of just more the tech fo- focused NASDAQ and looked at the S&P 500. Even there, for that entire 10 years, from January of 2000 through December of 2009, you lost about 1% per year, or you lost, you know, again, if you had a million bucks in the S&P 500 in January 1 of 2000, and you looked at the end of 2009, you had about $900,000. So you lost money for an entire decade. You know, it's just amazing to me right now, uh, and, and it shouldn't be. I mean, it's I, I know investors can kind of be led astray by what we call recency bias and this familiarity bias and, hey, we know these stocks and look how well they're doing, so this is going to keep happening. We talked about Homer Simpson in a couple of podcast episodes ago, how his investing thesis was, you know, hey, it's October. These pumpkin prices just keep going up. I'm going to buy them. It's just got to keep going up and up and up. And obviously, when you get through October or November, you know, you realize that it doesn't, doesn't really work anymore. You're having that happen right now. Now, what hasn't been working as well more recently are smaller companies or international companies, um, whether they're more developed economies like Europe, Japan, the UK, Australia, or even more emerging economies like China and India or, or two of the larger ones. If we look at, say, the last, um, well, let's go back to the 2000s. I'll go back to the 2000s first since we already talked about that time period. So where the NASDAQ lost 5.2% per year, and the S&P 500 lost about a percent per year. If you went to emerging markets, 
they actually made more than 10% per year. So 10% per year, you know, you just do some simple math there and your money more than doubled, way more than doubled over that 10 year period. If you go to international small companies, about 13% here uh, per year, not cumulatively, 13% per year. So here your money is, is, is more than doubling, um, almost four times as much uh, over that time period. And so the U.S. was really out of favor because it had done so well during the 90s, been bid up in price, still had these great companies, particularly these technology companies. You know, some of them went away, but a lot of them were still there. Microsoft, Intel, Cisco, again, you name it but you pay too high of a price and you had negative returns for an entire decade. Meanwhile, over that same time period, you had small companies in the US that were doing well, about 8% per year. You had the emerging markets, like I mentioned, 10% plus per year. You had international small companies doing more than 13% per year. So that's really where you made the money um, through that decade, owning small companies in the US, owning some value stocks in the US, and then owning international stocks as well. Now you fast forward to, say, the last 10 years, the 2010s, which, you know, here we are from January 2010 through December of 2019. And as everybody is well aware, um, you know, the U.S. market has been, you know, kicking butt recently. You look at the S&P 500 over those 10 years, 13.5, 13.6% per year. You look at the NASDAQ, more than 16% per year over that time period. And then you go on the other side of it and, you know, small companies in the U.S. still did well, about around 12 or so, but you go international and here you are and looking at, say, emerging markets and you're closer to about 4% per year, or you're looking at international small companies and you're around seven. Not terrible, you know, you, and you didn't lose a lot of money like you did um, owning the NASDAQ or the S&P 500 in the prior decade. But certainly that's, you know, if you look at it on paper and say, man, I'd much rather have a 16% return than a 4% return. I mean, you don't have to be a financial advisor to figure that one out. But when you put this all together, if we just string the entirety of these two decades together, the 2000s from January 2000 all the way through the end of December 2019, so 20 years in total, and now you look at the returns. So you had, you know, these two very distinct decades, but now you put them together and now you look at the NASDAQ and it had about a 5% per year return. You look at the S&P 500, it had about a 6% per year return. You look at small U.S. stocks, hey, you actually got compensated for owning those even better. You made about 10% per year. You go outside of the U.S. and you look at emerging markets, you got, you, here you got about 7% per year. So you got more than what you did for S&P 500 and what have you. You look at international small companies and here you got about 10%. So what I'm hoping people are taking away from this is that we all know that we need to be diversified, but diversification works when you want it to and also when you don't want it to. People love diversification during the 2000s when the S&P 500 lost money for an entire decade for 10 years. They loved it when the NASDAQ was down more than 40% over those 10 years. And now here more recently when those asset classes are doing really well, they hate it. Why do I own this international stuff? Don't you know America is the best country in the world to live? Guess what? It was the best place in the world to live 20 years ago too, but it was the exact wrong country to go ahead and invest all your money in. And we don't know what it's going to be going forward. The U.S. market has been really expensive for quite some time, um, but it's continued to get more expensive. At a certain point, I mean, <laughs> we talked about this in the, in the past too, kind of the forward-looking nature of the stock market relative to the economy. But then when does looking forward become more the irrational exuberance and you're really just overpaying? And nobody has the crystal ball. And certainly there's ways to go ahead and kind of measure this. But in the short term, whether you're talking about six months, a year, two years, 
I mean, anything can happen. Um, that term irrational exuberance was created in a book that was written in 97 and published in 1998 uh, by Robert Schiller, who is a professor at Yale and who later won a Nobel Prize. But the market was <laughs> still was irrationally exuberant and started kept going up more than double digits um, for another two, three years from the time that he researched and wrote the book. So the market can do really wild and crazy things, but eventually there's an underlying gravitational pull back to reasonableness. Price does matter. What we get as investors is the earnings per share that we have. And you know, just because somebody bids up the price of whether it's Tesla or Apple for whatever reason, you know, because they like it, uh, because there's a stock split or whatever, you know, kind of nonsensical reason that they can come up with. Over time, this stuff is going to average out and the pendulum is going to swing back the other way. I don't know when it's going to swing back, but eventually that music is going to run out. And if you're talking about investing your retirement dollars, particularly if you're in the last few years of working or those first few years of retirement, you know, that's kind of the red zone area that we've, we've heard about. Having really negative returns during that time period can really cause a lot of harm for you and your financial plan and may cause you to have to work longer or spend less in retirement. And, and God forbid that you have to go back to work. But you got to be responsible here. You got to be prudent. You got to be diversified. And you have to take you know, more than a six or 12 or 24 month time frame. Again, we, we talked about decades here. I mean, beyond belief uh, to me how people just forget. It's like, you know, all the things I'm hearing about American exceptionalism, I mean, it was the same thing 20 years ago, but it was just such a terrible place to invest. But it's like, it's it's only 20 years, but it's like people completely forget about it, Walter. I just, I maybe that's why I have, in part, have a job. Um, mm -hmm. no, but, re recency bias, we all, ha we all have it. And it's a value to be able to buck recency bias and put things in that grander scale to see the future as, you know, not just a year, but decades at a time or hundreds of years at a time in, in some organizations. Yeah. And most people, you know, as it relates to the retirement planning, certainly they want to get a decent return on their money. They want to get a return commensurate with the risk they're taking. But more importantly, they want to make sure that they're able to preserve their lifestyle. They're, they want to make sure that they don't have to go back to work, that they can sleep at night. Um, all those, you know, important things that money is a tool. It's not the end all be all, but you have to get a good return. I mean, if you look at those 20 year returns that I talked about from 2000 to 2019, and you're looking at like 6% for large U S stocks and, you know, 10% for small stocks, both U S as well as outside the U S and you're getting a little bit more for emerging markets over those 20 year period. That's frankly, that's about what you would expect. You know, when you factor in kind of, you know, just kind of longer term expectations based on risk based on growth of the economies, things along those lines. Um, but you look at 10 years and 10 years sounds like a, <laughs> it sounds like a really long period, right? Um, but in investing, it's really not. And, and that's, I think that time frame is something that's difficult for a lot of people because, you know, they're going and like not the recency bias is there, but they just think like, you know, a year or two or three years is a long period of time. I mean, I had a conversation with a new client. We've been, we worked together on some project work in the past and we just had a conversation again last week and they're going to be coming on as kind of what I, I guess what I would call a full blown client where we're going to handle their planning, their taxes and their investing. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, how his portfolio is doing well this year and, and how another advisor that he hired, he didn't do all that well. And I, I just told him, I said, you know, I have no idea how the next year is going to go. I mean, I'm very comfortable in our thinking and our process, but anything can happen in a year. And not to defend your advisor, I'm not sure what they're doing for you or didn't do for you at this point. Um, but a year, frankly, is way too short to draw any meaningful conclusion. 
10 years, like we just talked about here with this two different decades, is quite a long period of time to get two almost mirror opposite results. And you just look at it and say, wow. And, and I get it. It's um, 10 years is a long time. But when you look at investing, the markets can stay pretty irrational for a while and can get, you know, really kind of bid up or, or kind of underperform for quite some time. But in, when you do take an even longer view, um, you know, things do tend to even out over time. There is that underlying rational gravitational pull back to, well, you know, we get earnings per share and that's, that's really what we get as investors. And so whether that's in the form of, you know, kind of dividends being paid out, earnings per share being invested back in, um, you know, that's what we get. And, you know, if investors bid up or bid down a price of a stock, so something is maybe really exuberant or really kind of oversold, you know, that's going to happen. Inevitably, that happens in, in markets because markets are constructed by people and people are emotional. Um, but you need to have a little bit of longer term view. And importantly, you need to be diversified. You know, you don't want to be chasing, you know, money and something just because it's been going up. You don't want to be completely in the U.S. We've talked about uh, episodes in the past where kind of pull different return expectations from a lot of different money management firms like J.P. Morgan, BlackRock, uh, Morningstar, Vanguard. And every single one of them, I did this recently, again, for a client, every single one of them were expecting higher returns for international markets than the US. And I went back and I showed this client that this has basically been the belief for the vast majority of these large institutional money managers. I went back to 2013 and was seeing that pattern. And so here we are like kind of seven years later. And you know, they, very sophisticated, very smart people, very good methodologies, but it hasn't been true. And they're looking at five or 10 or in like JP Morgan's case, 15 year expected returns. And so it could still be right over, say, maybe a 10 or 15 year period if the pendulum really swings back away from the US, but it hasn't been right so far. So it's natural that people start questioning this. But when you really understand investing and investing history, and you need to understand that, or you're going to repeat the mistakes uh, that history could have taught you, and you're going to repeat them in the future. But 10 years isn't that much. You know, we have to be diversified. We have to stick to diversification. Every time you look at your portfolio statement and you see something, you should probably have something that causes a little bit of angst. You know, maybe investment one, two, three, and four are up, and then five and six are like, ugh, you know, why do I own this? And they're out of favor for whatever reason. But when you put it all together, when you look at a diversified portfolio, the whole is more than the sum of the parts. And you want to go ahead and kind of smooth out that ride, reduce that wiggle factor, particularly when you're in retirement and taking out retirement distributions for your, your, your lifestyle and just have a, a smoother return pattern, something where you can sleep at night, something where you know your money's going to last and not really kind of chasing returns and maybe kind of ending up having to go back to work. A couple of pieces of uh, you know homework or things to uh, clean up on the show. McKinley was president uh, until <laughs> 1901 to answer that question when he was assassinated. Um, so 1987 to 1901 was uh, his his distance. Uh, and uh, lastly, in terms of catching up on notes, Grover Cleveland was on the thousand dollar bill that you mentioned, and I'm a little disappointed that we still don't have that because I would love. I just think that would be cool to call the thousand dollar bill the Grover. Like, can you see? Yeah. How, how much does it cost? Oh, a couple Grovers. You know, like I, I guess that, that could catch on. I think Walter, that is like that. That sounds pretty millennial of you. That is way hip. That is way. That's um. Who's the guy that's running for president? Kanye West, hip. You know, that, that, Kanye right. would probably right. say that, right? Yeah, that's right. How much does that cost? How much does that car cost? About twenty Grovers. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I'm going to start a movement. That's what I'm going to run for president on. That we bring back the thousand dollar bill and we call it specifically the Grover. 
That'll be my platform. Wonderful to talk about these kinds of things and to get your perspective on them as always, Kevin. Uh, If you need some different perspectives when it comes to your financial plan, how you're preparing for retirement and beyond, don't hesitate to reach out to Kevin and the team at True Wealth Design. They can take a look at your current financial plan, talk about how they can design it heading into the future to accomplish more of your financial goals. Point out some of the areas where you may not know that pitfalls currently exist, uh, some of the danger areas for your portfolio. It's a sophisticated, intelligent look at your financial plan. And again, if you want to set up a time to meet and talk with Kevin and the team about that, you can do that on truewealthdesign.com. Click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule your 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team. Again, that's truewealthdesign.com or give a call to 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-TWD-PLAN. Kevin, thanks for the help this week. Appreciate it and uh, enjoy those dogs. And uh, we'll talk to you again next uh, next episode. All right. Well, let's, uh, thank you, Grover. <laughs> Go make some Grovers, all right? We'll talk to you on the next episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. For Kevin Krosky, I'm Walter Storholt. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite apps. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you next time on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.